Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, coming at you with another Velo News tech podcast. And if you are a loyal tech pod listener, well, first of all, if you're not, you should be. Let's let's be honest. You should start listening more. Uh, but if you have been listening for a while, you know, not too long ago, I spoke with Neil Shirley at NV Wheels about some of the testing he did uh, over in France and Belgium with uh, some of his uh, teams to get them set up on road tubeless uh tires and wheels. So we, we got the take from Envy about, you know, wheels and what's, what's new in tubeless wheels. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about tubeless tires. And so I got in touch with uh, Mr. Ken Avery, uh, Vice President of Product and Marketing at Victoria North America. And Ken is joining me today. Ken, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm super psyched to be on this show. I'm a longtime listener, big fan of what you guys do. So I'm, I'm honored to be here today. Thanks, man. Ah, so you're the guy that's been listening. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so Ken, um, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, and like I said, I wanted to talk about road tubeless because I think, you know, it's gotten a little bit of a bad rap, uh, because early on it was, you know, there were some problems. It was kind of unreliable. Um, but tubeless itself goes way back. Uh, you know, mountain bike, uh, is it's, it's been a staple in mountain biking for a long time. I'm a mountain biker. You're a mountain biker. Uh, you, you happen to have a little bit of a history designing mountain bike tires. Um, so let's let's talk about the roots of, of road tubeless, where it came from, and what's what's sort of transferred over from the mountain bike world. And then by the end of the show, what I really want to get at is 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 tubeless road tubeless is it here? Has it arrived? Is it time for people to start uh, giving it a fair shake? But let's start with uh, where we've been. Um, give me just a brief history overview of uh, some of the tubeless tires that you've designed uh, and and. Tell me a little bit about the development of tubeless on the mountain bike side and why why that took off before road. Sure. Well, you know, within mountain bike, I mean, obviously you're dealing with a lot of difference in terrain, right? There's always like a huge variance in what you're trying to ride over. And so with that said, I mean, sometimes you smack stuff on a mountain bike and you'll pinch through the tire or at the time you'll pinch, you were pinching inner tubes a lot and everybody was trying to make lighter bikes. Um, and so people use lighter tires and, and rotational weight's a big deal, obviously. So, you know, it was the kind of thing where, um, as things got lighter, uh, they tried different materials, latex inner tubes, which were more elastic, which incidentally came from road tubulars, um, and things like that. Um, and ultimately it came down to why do we need an inner tube and a mountain bike tire? Um, and so, um, in order to make it tubeless, you needed to plug the holes in your rim, and uh, you needed to be able to create a bead interface that could then become airtight. Um, and, you know, originally um, that was just kind of a dry interface and then sealant came into play and that enabled, you know, sealing of punctures and a lot of different things uh, in addition to just setting up the, the bead and, and tire interface in and of itself. And that is a super simple way to say kind of where we came from on the mountain bike side. Um, but I think it's probably a good starting point. Mm -hmm. So pic picture this, Ken. Uh, the year is 2000. Uh, yeah. I, I am a young buck in my freshman year of college, uh, and there is a mountain bike mountain bike race on campus. And so old young young buck Dan decides to enter, and it's my first race, my first ride on tubeless tires. There is zero sealant in my tires at this point. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't know. I just didn't know at that point. Yeah, 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 sure. That was something you needed. Um, and what you, you said that you just said, uh, you know, some of these, by the way, I won that race. Yeah. You're damn right. I did. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, you said the uh, you know the, we started dry before before sealant came yeah. along. Tell me a little bit about that. What uh, what you know what were those early tires like, and what were the shortcomings where sealant became necessary? Yeah, sure. So, you know, as with anything on a bike, you're trying to make um, a simple machine more efficient, um, which is inherently like a tough challenge. And uh, so the system needed to be light um, in order to provide advantages. You can't have like an advantage in a bubble. Um, It has to be something that's practical. Right. So um, that first system um, really that was was out on the market was known as UST. Um, And, um, you know, uh, once once people really realized that it was still possible to burp that tire or like if you come off of like a drop off or something and had some sort of like a major deformation on the tire, it could lose air in that way. Um, so when sealant really came around, it was, it became a game changer. It became something that enabled you to sort of almost convert tires, um, in a way that maybe weren't tubeless at the beginning. And people were kind of, there was like a bit of a wild west period there. Um, and um, in some ways, I kind of view that right now in the gravel market where there's a lot of experimentation, which is actually, I think, at a really exciting time. I came up in, in the early 90s of mountain bike racing and, you know, I, I started, I've, I've been riding since 91. And so I saw this whole evolution happen and, and it was an exciting time then and it's an exciting time now to see what's happening in gravel and road. Um, but the, the real thing that uh, happened with, with all of this was that tire companies like Vittoria and, uh, wheel companies started really working together to try to make ETRTO standards really work together because there definitely was a period of time where wheel companies were saying, Oh, we want it to fit real tight to make sure that there's a good seal. So we're going to make the wheel a little bigger than it should be. So it'll be real tight on those tires. Mm -hmm. And then tire companies thought they'd be really clever and do the same thing. And there was a period of time where you just couldn't mount a tubeless yeah, tire yeah. without breaking a few tire levers, and it was really frustrating. Um, and so we were past that. Everything's kind of relaxed a bit and kind of you know come together and really jived on the mountain bike scene. And that really only happened maybe, I mean, to be realistic, about five years ago. Yeah. Um, and um, so we've learned a lot of lessons there, and we're now applying them on the road. There's a lot of differences in the road tire uh, makeup, though, and we can get into that in a minute. Yeah, as you're, as you're talking about tight, tighter t- tires and beads and interfaces and breaking tire levers, my thumbs started to ache as a longtime mechanic. <laughs> I've, right. I've, I've mounted my fair share of tubeless tires that uh, really put my thumbs to task. Um, but I do want to just really quickly, you mentioned uh, ETRTO. Can you explain really quickly what that is? Yeah, so it's basically the uh, European organization, uh, European Tire and Rim Technical Organization that basically uh, exists to make sure that tires and rims fit together properly as they should in in a safe manner. So that's the most simple way to describe it. But basically, it's it's sort of like an industry organization that uh, that ensures that proper fitment. Yeah. So we know that uh, it's been around for a while on the mountain bike side. We know there are. Uh, "Quote unquote standards," and everybody in the bike industry hates that word. I'm sure, oh, God. Uh, but um, but they exist, and and there is a, a governing body addressing this. Uh, but road tubeless came along, and um, you know we're fast forwarding a little bit here because I think mm-hmm. we could talk all day about the evolution of mountain bike tubeless. Uh, oh God, yeah, for yeah, sure, and and where, and even where it is now. Uh, but I want to get a little bit. Uh, let's let's start hedging our way toward the roadside because that's what we're here to talk about. Um, and, and I can tell you, I mean, you know, I've been at Velo News now five years and just in the last five years, 
the uh, reliability of Road Tubeless and uh, the feel of it, the availability of tires, it's all changed. It's all gotten better. Um, mm -hmm. But those early, you know, those early iterations were rough. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the difference between uh, mountain bike tubeless and road and the particular challenges that are specific to road tubeless setups. Sure. So, you know, we learned a lot from mountain bike that we brought over to road and, and namely it was really the shape of the bead, which has to be a much more um, sort of like a sharp hook on the bead where tires that used to just be made out of, you know, regular nylon cloth as most tires are, or, or, you know, in some cases in the higher end tires that are cotton, you'd see almost like a teardrop cross-section shape on the bead of a tire. And now you see like a very sharp like hook that is, is meant to um, interface with the rim uh, in the most tight, sense possible and also make it such that it holds a, a bit of air for that initial burst to really seat in the first place. So it kind of accomplishes those two things. So we, we kind of brought that over from mountain bike. Um, you got to realize though, on the roadside, tires on the roadside, you know, any pneumatic tire is meant to give you some sort of an air spring to provide some amount of cushion. However, on the road scene, um, you know, I mentioned cotton a minute ago. Vittoria is obviously the uh, very well known for cotton tires. Um, and um, this isn't just a convenient company plug, I promise. It really, th there's a reason that you see, you know, higher TPI materials used, such as cotton, TPI is threads per inch. How many threads, you know, um, can fit inside of an inch basically tells you how fine that thread is. And the reason why that's important and the reason it relates to tubeless is that uh, the higher the TPI, the more supple the ride. And it's not just a comfort and feel thing. It actually allows the tire to roll faster because it does not de reflect off of bumps um, to the same extent that a, a lower TPI tire would. So it was really critical that we kept that feel and that low rolling resistance in a tubeless setup. And the reason I mention that is because you're dealing on a road tire with a high pressure system. And so on a mountain bike tire, yeah, okay, great. You know, the max you're going to run is probably the minimum pressure that's listed on the sidewalls, right? Most people run well below that. Right. <laughs> I didn't say that, but you know me. Uh, so I didn't anyway, hear anything. I didn't hear anything. Yeah. Right? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. But my point is like, uh, with a road system, you know, you're talking about people are still pumping them up to like, you know, 130 PSI kind of a thing. Um, and so you need to be able to make that interface really secure because, um, if you get a puncture, um, that pressure is going to drop really quick in a system like that. Um, and then you also still need to then somehow have that security, but make it roll fast. And so it's really, really challenging. And that's part of the reason why it took so long. Okay. So, so basically what it, what it sounds like to me is there's just less room for, for error, uh, essentially in a road tire because of the high pressure, because it's a narrow platform, because we're demanding so much of our tire. It has to be, uh, you know, it has to deflect, you know, if you guys have heard us talk about hysteresis before, um, and you know, that's the, you know, the, the, when your tire hits something, it deflects, uh, or deforms and then the rate at which it deforms back essentially is, mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is, is hysteresis. If I, I think I'm saying that right, I have to hit, go back to my Leonard Zinn, uh, encyclopedia. <laughs> right. We're just going to go with it. Man. Yeah, we're, we're going with it. We're going with it. Um, if I, if I screwed it up, you guys can email me and yell at me. Um, but in any event, uh, you want to address that so that the tire rolls faster. And for a long time, the common knowledge was, oh, you know, skinny tires, high pressure, uh, right. fast. 
and that's not the case anymore. Now it's lower pressures, uh, wider contact patch, uh, and that turns out to be faster. Uh, right. And so tubeless, it, it sort of seems kind of primed for that. Um, but also, you know, one of the things that tubeless sort of uh, evolved into was uh, there was an aerodynamic component to yeah. to the interface between to uh, tires and uh, uh, rims. And that sort of happened concurrently with the development of um, tubeless, a uh, road tubeless. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that means for the rider? Yeah, sure. So, you know, m most times when you uh, pump up a, you know, an inner tube or a tire, it, it's a pretty, pretty much a round cross section. You know, it's pretty much a circle. Um, through a lot of aero testing and things like that, they found that you could make a bit more of like an elliptical shape and, and it would basically provide some sort of an aero advantage. Um, and so, you know, through uh, the evolution of that idea kind of happening at the same time really is the evolution of road tubeless. Uh, they kind of have put the two together and, and have found a way to, and multiple companies ourselves included. But I mean, you know, the, the reality of it though is um, the big advantage is not just aero, it's also the fact that you have less material. Mm. So we go back to this TPI thought, right? Well, if you take the tube out of the equation, you're taking away quite a bit of material there. Um, and so, you know, just as one example that I can give uh, that I could speak to is, you know, we, we make a, a course of speed in a TLR version. And uh, that's proven to be, you know, the fastest bike tire made, basically, I mean, for that reason. And it's 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 a thin casing that's high TPI. And then we're able to then somehow make it tubeless. And I can get into that in a minute, too. But but basically, because of that and because you don't have that extra inner tube, now the weight of an inner tube is something, but it's 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 pretty minimal, you know, when you're talking about that. But um, it provides a more supple ride. Uh, you, you can you can have a bit more pressure um, because you um, then have less material to deform. So it's funny. We've had a bunch of athletes who first get on the tire uh, on, on any of those tires or even like or even our cyclocross stuff, really, even. Um, and their first thought is like, whoa, um, I need to run this at a little higher pressure. And they get spooked at first. And then they realize that that little higher pressure actually just kind of keeps them in the sweet spot. But when they hit a bump, because it's so much higher CPI, it is more flexible. So they still get that nice flex and deformation to reduce rolling resistance, but they're not sagging in the tire the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that nuance may sound super dorky to say, <laughs> but man, that is like, that's the feeling that they get from it. And that's, and that's something that, you know, we found um, on, on cross country tires all the way through cyclocross and gravel all the way into road racing now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a big change for that reason. I would say, you know, it's as important as, as disc brakes have become in a way. Um, and th those two things really, you could point to mountain bikes as a, as a kind of a, a path of evolution, but really they, they make a, a marked difference in the performance of that road bike. So I want I want to talk in a minute about construction of the, the, the tubeless tire and how it differs from a, a regular tube tire. But first, I want to also talk about something that sort of came along at the same time, uh, and that's hookless rims. Uh, sure. Can you talk a little bit about what hookless rims are, why they matter when it comes to tubeless tires, and, and uh, how did that change tire design? 
So, um, you know, as, as a tire designer, you have to basically make it compatible with, with a hooked rim and a hookless rim. So what's the difference? Well, if you look at a traditional rim and you can imagine, like, if you just like, like kind of like I took a hacksaw to it, right. And you, and you look at the cross section of it, you'll see on the sidewall, um, of the rim, kind of like on the inside of that sidewall, you'll see like a little round section, which is known as the bead. Um, and, and you'll see, um, like a marked lip on, on the inside of that rim. Hookless um, was something that, you know, came about with a lot of carbon rim manufacturers. Um, it's it's arguably easier to create a rim without a, you know, a hook on it if you're making carbon rims. Um, and so, but through that, they also found, um, you know, some potential advantages, which is to say, basically, it changes the profile of the tire slightly. Um, it can it can basically have a similar effect of almost running like a wider rim in a way. Um, so uh, and wider rims have become a thing just like wider tires have. And, and you know, if you look at ETRTO standards, um, the standard is, you know, how wide of a tire goes on how wide of a rim. You know, that that's essentially what that boils down to. I know we talked about it a bit ago, but really, when people talk about ETRTO standards, most people just kind of like, gloss over it or they or they just become stone-faced and they're like dude what are you talking about and <laughs> really what it comes down to is that it's like you want to make sure you have the right size tire for the right size rim and and hookless is is one way in theory that you can potentially get around that in in fairness um you know our our cotton tubeless tires we don't recommend to be used on on a, a, a standard hookless rim um but you know our mountain bike tires um you know are, are something that can be done that way so did did uh, did hookless uh, did hookless rims change the design of the tire at all, or or is it just something that worked with with what you already had? It uh, we did not know, and you know, to my knowledge, I don't know of anybody who makes a specific hookless tire. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be um, really chasing a very narrow piece of the market um, sure. if they were to do that. So most tires are going to be designed to be compatible with both, um, you know, or. Or, or just hooked rims, you know what I mean? Um, you very rarely, like I said, I've never actually seen um, a hooked rim only tire. But um, all that said, I mean, you know, um, it's definitely something you see a lot from carbon, man- carbon rim manufacturers. Um, and, and it does allow you to kind of have a different um, kind of a profile on the tire once it's inflated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to briefly summarize before we head into con- tire construction, um, the, the basic advantages that a rider will get from road tubeless over a mm-hmm. tube setup are ABC. What? Yeah, no, for sure. So the first thing is, um, you know, you're going to have a bit of um, built-in puncture protection. And when I use the word protection, it's not as if you're not going to get a puncture. It just it's that it seals the puncture immediately, and you almost don't even know what happened, right? So if you run over like a thumbtack. Um, you know, that sealant will find the hole before you realize there is a hole, you know what I mean? So oftentimes you don't even know you get puncture. So that's, I would say the first thing. Um, the second thing is, um, depending on the tire, um, some are heavier, but some are lighter in fact. And because the system as a system, you're, you're, you have a net less weight because you take the tube out, even if the tire might be uh, a little bit different in construction, which we can get into in a sec, but you know, those are the two big advantages. And then as a result, you could argue that in some cases, um, like we talked about earlier on that uh, course of speed, for instance, uh, you actually have a reduction in rolling resistance. So you have a bit of puncture protection. Um, you could have a, a net lighter system um, and it, and in theory, it should roll faster. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I just want to touch on that real quick before again, again before we head into tire construction, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna end the episode before we actually talk about that. Um, net net negative uh, in terms of well, I guess we, that's not the right way to say it. Um, there, you're saying there is a weight savings, net uh, reduction, yeah, net reduction, yeah, that was the word I was looking for, uh, because you're eliminating the tube. Uh, but the tire is a, a different construction and also you're adding sealant. So, you know, that's one Correct. of the, one of the things we often hear from, from folks who are critical of this system. Um, but generally speaking, you, you'll still end up with a lighter system, even with, uh, sealant and, and a slightly heavier tire. You know, it, it, it's really going to depending, it's going to depend a lot on the tire itself. Um, and then, um, you know, what kind of tube you were running, you know, I mean, if you were running like an ultra light tube, um, oftentimes the sealant will actually become almost like a draw in that way. The sealant itself can almost weigh about what the tube weighed, um, uh, depends on what you're using. Um, but it's a good, it's a good little transition into tire construction. So yeah. maybe this is where we take this. Yeah. Let's talk about tire construction, but for, no, I'm kidding. Let's just, talk about, <laughs> <laughs> let's just talk about tire construction. So, uh, what is, what is the, now I guess, first of all, let's, let's clarify that, um, you know, tubulars are their own thing. Um, yeah. So we're talking clinchers. Uh, yep. so, so what is what are the major differences uh, between a you know a clincher that's designed for a tube and a tubeless tire? Yeah, sure. There's going to be two big things: um, the bead shape. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, a non-tubeless ready tire will typically have really a teardropped uh, cross section bead shape. So if you were like I say, cut that bead and then look at the end of it it's going to look like a teardrop. And what the reason for that is basically what they're doing is they're taking um, whatever your bead material is, whether it's uh, wire or if it's, you know, aramid, um, th there's a hoop of this that's made in the factory, essentially, uh, which in that hoop is the same size as essentially your rim. And then they wrap material around it um, and then they vulcanize the tread on. So um, now when you start making tubeless tires or tubeless ready tires. And a tubeless ready tire is nothing more than a tire that is able to be run tubeless or with a tube. Um, so uh, any tubeless or tubeless ready tire um, has a much more pronounced hook. Uh, it's not like a symmetrical teardrop. Uh, the outer edge will actually have um, like a, a sharp lip on it, which is meant to engage with the rim in a very positive way. Uh, so that's the first difference. Um, the second difference is that, especially on road tires, you have to create a system uh, which uh, can withstand the pressure without pushing the sealant through the sidewall. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're talking about really thin, lightweight material here um, with a, you know, less than paper thin coating of rubber on the outside of it. Um, and, um, you know, in some cases that can happen, that sealant can get pushed right through that sidewall. So on nylon tires, you typically see some sort of like, um, an extra layer or, uh, sometimes a butyl liner. So butyl rubber is the rubber that an inner tube, a black inner tube is made out of. Okay. Mm -hmm. So some tire manufacturers, um, will put straight up put a uh, bead to bead butyl layer inside their tubeless tire. It's literally as if you put the top half of a tube inside your tire and molded it that way. Um, and that is to, to prevent sealant from getting pushed out. Um, but it adds a little weight. Um, there's no, there's no way around it. Um, and if you didn't have a butyl layer and you just had like high TPI nylon material and you pumped it up to hundred plus PSI, 
that sealant's going to start bubbling through your sidewall. Um, ask me how I know. So, um, <laughs> you know, we tried everything, dude. We really did. Um, so we, we do make a, a Rubino Pro um, that is TLR, and we got around that by using a different material um, as uh, an additional layer. So it does feel lively. It does that. that that's a nylon-based tire. Um, it doesn't feel like a boat anchor. Because, you know, the original road tubeless tires, they just felt dead, mm-hmm. you know? And yay, it's tubeless. But, like, does it matter, right, you know? Right. Like, what does it do for the rider? And as a product designer, that's – and as a rider myself – that's my. That's what I live for. I want to make. I want to make your ride better, you know, and and I want to make the product better in a genuine sense, you know. And so, we got around that on our nylon tire, and then on the cotton tire, you know, um, it was less of a thing because the way that the con- cotton uh, casing, uh, which is uh, core spun cotton, it's it's uh, basically there's like a filament inside that cotton the way it's it's wound, um, and uh, and then it's it's coated in latex. Um, that process actually enables you, uh, when, when you have the proper bead on the TLR version of our cotton tires, so like a Corsa TLR or Corsa Speed TLR, Corsa Control TLR, those three models, the TLR basically has that special bead that I spoke about a minute ago, but it doesn't need that extra layer inside it. So you can get away with a super lively, lightweight, you know, classic cotton feel. And it's out actually even more so because the special bead, you don't notice what kind of bead you have on your tire because it's inside your rim wall, right? Mm-hmm. All you notice is what's on the sidewall and the rest of the casing. And so by virtue of not having an extra layer, um, you can actually have something that's even more supple than even a, a classic tubular mm-hmm. if it's made out of cotton that way, um, which is pretty cool. I, I, I want to rewind because uh, one of the things you said – so I, I've been rolling road tubeless now for a couple seasons – pretty problem free uh yeah i've had good experience with it uh i recently had a had a wheel and tire uh tubeless setup and i won't mention brands it's not your brand (laughs) but i I won't mention brands uh and i did notice sealant bubbling through the sidewall yeah should i be worried so um the (laughs) i wouldn't say you should be worried i mean too bad ken i'm already worried (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. The thing about it is, is that obviously if it's to the extent that it's like dripping on the floor and it can get on your like tread and, right. and be slippery, then yeah, you don't want that. Right. But at the same time, oftentimes what will happen is if you just drop, drop the PSI to like super, super low PSI and like let it cure, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it can actually create a barrier in and of itself. And then you can pump them back up again and you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, without knowing which tire, and I don't want to know, but without, without knowing what brand tire you were using and what wheel and all that stuff. But I mean, you know, um, ultimately, though, um, as a manufacturer, you have to make it foolproof mm-hmm. and you have to make it something that is, um, you know, consistent. So you want to make sure that that tire kind of works the same no matter um, who's mounting it and which one they have, you know? Um, so if it's the first one you made or the, you know, hundredth one you made, they should feel the same in that way. And so that was something that, um, you know, the manufacturing quality was really, you know, something that was key for us as well. in in, in doing ours, should you be worried to answer your question? I mean, um, you could try a different sealant, maybe, um, some sealants, uh, have some particles in them or some are thinner than others. Um, a bit of a, you know, a, a sealant change could, could maybe help you. Mm-hmm. I'm worried, Ken. 
I'm really worried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, worried you're on a road bike. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need any help crashing myself out. I do that on my own. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the numbers then. So, you know, I think we, we kind of went through the really dramatic uh, years of our disc brakes finally here. And then, you know, right, every, right. and there was the, the anti-disc brake crowd, the save the rim brake crowd. And, you know, now everybody's like, all right, yeah, my next bike's going to be disc brake. Um, and in a sense, I feel like tubeless is going through that same phase right now. Uh, you know, are we there yet? Uh, you know, can I, can I ride it? It's, it's scary. It's not as reliable and you can burp, you know, there's all sorts of stuff, but by the numbers, let's talk, uh, you know, OEM, and, and, mm. and customer number, I mean, are people actually, for, let's talk about two different things. Customers, you know, going sure. into the bike shop saying, all right, I want tubeless, uh, mm-hmm. versus, you know, OEM manufacturers saying we want to spec tubeless on our bikes. Uh, are those numbers going up? Are they flat? Are we still waiting for the, the moment? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it, it's it's something that's here to stay. I think there was definitely, as you mentioned, a period of time where people were kind of, you know, tr- you know, dipping their toe in the water, trying it out a bit and saying, you, you know, is this a thing? Um, as you mentioned, you know, um, you've had some pretty much problem free miles. And that's something that um, can be almost like a set it and forget it type of scenario. You definitely should always check your pressure before you ride um, and all that stuff. But I mean, um, you know, you're going to do that regardless of whatever your setup is. So consider that a constant. Outside of that, you know, not having to worry about punctures is a big deal. Um, If you can make the system, if you can make the system lighter, that's cool. Um, If you can make it roll faster and have the other two things, that's amazing. So for that reason, I think it's like something that um, you know, once people try it, it's here to stay. The setup is definitely, especially the first time is not fun. Um, you know, the first time you, you're, you're trying to mess with all that stuff. Um, and then you got to remember that every six months or so you should really refresh your sealant. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause at the end of the day, um, much like how that sealant in your case of what, whatever tire that happened to be, not ours, um, was, get, <laughs> <laughs> was getting pushed out of the sidewall. Yeah, yeah. Dude, your tire loses air, right? Yeah. So like you're constantly putting new air in there. So that sealant will evaporate a little bit, right? It's made to seal a puncture because it finds the hole and then evaporates and creates that little seal. So over time, your sealant life, um, yeah, well, it has a life. It has a life is what I should say. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to kind of top that up. And I recommend doing that every six months or so uh, just to be safe. Um, and, you know, once you have your your setup and it's all like the beads are all locked nicely on the rim, you can definitely do that through removable valve core. Um, and it's a lot easier to do that. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, to come back, because I typically do this with you when we talk. <laughs> what, um, I answered a question. I asked a question. <laughs> I know, right, dude? I know. It's like a week ago so uh the the, the point is that um yeah um i think enough time has passed um where consumers to start consumers are definitely like okay tires are the number one upgrade if you have any bike and you want to make it ride better um the first thing you change is your tires and so um and then going tubeless is another step beyond that. So you could put a really high quality tire on and that's an improvement. You could put a high quality tubeless tire on and that's even a better improvement most of the time. And um, so to get into OEMs, OEMs are are hip to this. 
And so oftentimes what they'll do is they'll spec a tubeless ready tire um, on a tubeless ready wheel set, but because they're shipping their bike to a dealer and it maybe sits in the dealer for a while or sits on a boat in the meantime too, they put a tube inside the system. And that's really where tubeless ready, you know, has become a thing for OEMs where, um, you know, it's, it's a tubeless system if you want it to be, but we put a tube inside it for OEM purposes Mm -hmm. just to get it out on the showroom floor. And then that also offers the dealers a nice first service. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when they're selling the bike to the consumer, they say, Hey, if you'd like, we can actually, you know, convert this to tubeless real easy. Um, and it can be a part of the package. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a, a third user group that, uh, tends to be, you know, a little bit off the back sometimes with, with technological advancements. And that is our dear pros. Uh, I assume you work with quite a few pros. Uh, yeah, we have a good roster. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is what's some of the feedback you're hearing from them? Are they ready? Because I know there's a lot of pros right now in the last couple of seasons uh, have been tinkering with with tubeless. And, and we saw mm-hmm. kind of a, a banner year for it last year. Um, yep. What are the pros saying? So, the, you know, the pros are paid to go fast. Um, they just they genuinely want the fastest thing. Um, we have a lot of teams who come to us who we don't even sponsor who run our stuff, you know, and, and they, um, some believe it or not, we have some high end road teams who buy tires from us for this reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Olympic Federation, same kind of a thing, you know? Um, and so that's really what they're concerned with. What's the fastest thing. Um, and for many years, uh, tubulars were the fastest thing. Um, and tubulars offer a number of advantages. Um, you know, obviously it's glued onto a rim, Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's very secure in that way in the event you do get a flat, um, things like that. Um, and we still produce more tubulars than anybody else. Um, and that's, it's definitely a big part of our business still. So a lot of pros who came up through the ranks, they were groomed to, to run tubulars. Um, so to get them off that, you really have to have a solid case, right? Um, and in, in this way, uh, we have seen a lot of, uh, you know, pros trying tubeless tires out now. Uh, and for all the reasons we talked about today, um, but, you know, perhaps the biggest one is rolling resistance and, and all that. So um, you can make a, uh, a tubeless cotton tire um, roll, in fact, faster than a tubular. Um, now, of course, um, each system has its own advantages in that way, right? But um, so a bit of it's going to be a bit of superstition from the pro, uh, whoever the pro happens to be, or their team manager in that way. But um, yeah, to your to to your, answer your question, <laughs> uh, let's get around to that. Yeah, um, it okay. really comes back to um, you know what's the best choice for them, and we have seen a rise in both consumers as well as pros um, running these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and taking a step back to the whole setup of a tubeless tire and saying, you know, oh, it's messy, it's hard. Have yep. you glued a tubular? It is oh, it's just, <laughs> it is, it's like a three day process, and it's you know, it's just awful. It's messy. It's sticky. I yep. I I will happily set up a tubeless tire any day over a tubular. Oh uh, yeah, it's uh, they're both messy, but you get a bit more instant gratification with a tubeless system for sure. So for sure, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> what what are we what are we forgetting to tell our audience about uh, tubeless? Is there anything about road tubeless we need to 
to yeah. say to sort of allay their Valves. fears or, oh, yeah, valves. That's a key component to all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, with any tubeless system, you're going to want to throw a tubeless valve in your wheel. And oftentimes, road wheels have a deeper dish cross section. So you might need a valve extender or just just a, a longer valve just in the first place, something like that. Um, and um, so uh, it's just another kind of piece of the puzzle. And um, so definitely if you're going to convert to tubeless, um, you're going to need a tubeless valve and just make sure that you get one that is long enough to provide enough room to get through uh, your deep dish rim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot, I mean, most manufacturers at this point, wheel manufacturers do include their own valves with the wheels. Mm -hmm. If you're buying tubeless or tubeless ready, uh, and, and hope I would have, God, I would hope that they are including valves that are long enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, these are easy enough to get aftermarket. Just visit a bike shop. They should have something for you. I would uh, agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So valves. Yeah. That, that seemed like a no-brainer. And the other thing, there's one, one more thing. <laughs> All right. One more. Say. All right. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know we're out of time. Yeah. But if you're to look at an acid test, right? So you have, of course you have like the hardcore mountain bike use that's tubeless. Um, and but and then the road people are saying, yeah, that's fine for mountain bike. But like, does it really matter for road? Um, there was really never a time where gravel wasn't tubeless, right. which is interesting because gravel is sort of like a newer thing. Right. So if you think about it this way, um, they went straight to tubeless. It wasn't like, oh, let's try inner tubes out or, you know, tubulars or things like that. It was 100 percent. No, we're just going straight to tubeless. And that is arguably the most hardcore kind of road riding you can do because it's road riding, but it's definitely like there's impacts, there's terrain, there's things like this. And so to me, that's, that's a really good validation for this application within the road scene. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and honestly, I don't think I can't recall a bike, a gravel bike I've ridden that didn't come tubeless. Uh, but of course, you know, to be fair, I also carry a spare tube with me on every ride, mountain road, you know, gravel. So, you know, sure. you know, I don't want to get hate mail from tube manufacturers. We still love you. We still love you. Um, but you we know. sell a lot of tubes, man. Yeah. We still make tubes. We sell them. It's yeah. all good. Yeah. You, you should always have a spare tube with you because you right. just never know what's going to happen. I'm owned by big tube. Yeah. So yeah, I got to mention right. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, you're right. I think the biggest advancement lately in bike, uh, technology has been the gravel scene and it's very telling that they you're right that they went straight to, to tubeless because that's essentially for for a, a segment that is brand new and growing it's a no-brainer uh it yep. is the most current thing it makes sense why not just go straight to it so i think that's very telling for where the future of road tubeless uh is is going to be i think we're going to see more of it um i think as iterations come out of tires and we and rims that that play nice together uh it's going to be it's only going to get more reliable from here uh it doesn't it doesn't go backwards from here so i think uh we're going to see more of it and like i said i mean i've i've been riding it pretty consistently for two years now i've had very few if any major problems with it um so you know if take that for what it's worth i know people have written into velo news about uh, burping tires and things like that look there's always dangers there's always dangers in riding bikes. There's always strange things that can happen. Um, and I think the best we can do with any of the designs is, is validate it and make sure that it's, it's safe enough for regular use. Um, and, you know, hopefully it was set up properly by professionals. From there, you know, there's a, there's a gazillion X factors. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but the fact of the matter is I think we're now at a point with Road Tubeless where it is a reliable setup and, and it just gets better from here. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Ken, am I wrong? 
No, I mean, I think I think that's pretty fair. Right. Um, I like to think that things are getting better over time. I mean, if you look at, you know, what bikes were like in the early 90s to what they are now, it's just not even a comparison. And so um, this is just another one of those components that continues to evolve. And, and um, as materials and technologies um, are sort of experimented with and applied, um, I think it's only going to get better and lighter and faster along the way. It would have been a way more shocking ending of the podcast if you're like, no, Dan, it's dangerous. You should never buy Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that again if you yeah, want. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do a take two. Let's let's have the Scooby-Doo right. ending, the, 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 a little bit darker take. <laughs> nice. uh, Ken, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you talking about Doodlist today. Uh, and for those of you listening, if you guys have questions about this podcast or any of the other podcasts in the Velo News uh, atmosphere, as I like to call it, please do feel free to tweet at me, at Brown Tie Dan. Uh, and uh, on Instagram at that same handle that I just mispronounced, <laughs> Brown Tie Dan. You can also email me, dcavallari at velonews.com. I'm happy to ask, answer your questions. And if you have suggestions for topics you would like me to cover on the Velo News Tech Podcast, I am absolutely happy to hear them. Ken, thank you again. Anytime, man. It was awesome. And uh, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>